Hey, welcome to the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast with me, Rob Kosberg. Every week, I interview thought leaders and experts who have used the book to grow their income and their impact. So tune in weekly for these interviews so you can learn how to use your own best-selling book and go from hunting for clients and opportunities to instead being the hunted. Hey, all right. Welcome, everybody. It's Rob Kosberg here. Excited to bring you another episode of the Publish Remote Profit podcast with yet another fantastic guest. I have Randy Dewey here today. Randy is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of When the Unthinkable Happens, How to Lead Your Team and Pivot Your Business for Growth and Opportunity. Randy is terrific for many reasons, and I think you'll learn uh, quite a bit. He's a 30-year C-suite executive. He's worked in 10 different companies all over the place, nine different sectors, 32 different countries, and have having flown over a million miles, even just hearing that uh, makes me shudder just a little bit. I hate the idea of that. I'm not scared of flying. I just don't want to. Uh, <laughs> he has uh, created his uh, LIFT program, which is Lead, Inspire, Focus, and Transform. I uh, founded uh, Lift Leadership as a consulting and educational practice to C-suite and C-suite leaders, and uh, very, very excited, Randy, to have you on, and uh, look forward to diving in deep into uh, the Lift principles and talk to you a little bit about your experience in the C-suite. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for having me today. It's great. Great to be with you. So, Randy, I, I know a little bit more than a little uh, before we got on because uh, we were fortunate enough to work with Randy on his book, but um, 11 kids... And I just, Randy has 11 children by the same wife, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of important maybe to mention that. Eight different cities your kids were. Let me just start here because this is something that, that always intrigues me. Why the C-suite? I mean, it, it's a sacrificial life. Uh, you, mm -hmm. You've been a turnaround expert, really, right? You've gone into yeah. struggling companies. You worked with Blackstone that sent you into struggling companies. Most people should know what Blackstone is, uh, you know, largest asset manager in the world, if I'm not mistaken, or or one of them, what, seven or eight trillion under management. Why? Why the C-suite? You know, a lot of sacrifice in that. You know, let's start there. Yeah, sure. So, you know, in the early parts of my career, you know, I, I came out of uh, college and I was just, you know, I got my first job and I really, you know, I had some really interesting sort of conversations with certain C-suite people. And and as I started to realize the, you know, the power and the influence that they had, mm. um, sort of get enamored with the idea of, you know, leading large groups of people through difficult times. And I was always a history buff. So, I you know, I, I'd read so many stories over yeah. the years about, you know, people that have led people through tumult and difficulty and, and how they did it and, and as well keeping your, your moral compass in check as you as you went along the way you know really inspired me and so I sort of set my mind at a very young age that I was going to do whatever it took to to crawl to the top and I, I crawled to the top I, I mean I spent time in human resources and operations and sales and marketing and finance and I finally got my way up into the C-suite and then I spent a few few years in different uh, functions in the C-suite and then ultimately into the, the job of CEO 
but yeah, I, I, I spent a lot of time in turnarounds and I, I, I kind of gravitated to it only by chance because I fell into a business that was in chapter 11. Uh, I knew it was going to file because uh, Blackstone and others had told me that they were in the throes of that. And, but for me, I just took the opportunity and thought, you know what? I will make my way here. And uh, oddly, I got into that job and it was really difficult because, it, you know, within the first couple of months, you know, as you, as you filed and then as you got your dip financing, all of a sudden, uh, people started leaving from around the boardroom table. And ultimately, I was the last guy standing on wow. the management team. And, uh, you know, the, the folks from New York flew in and, you know, wondering what was going on. And, and uh, they just asked me to keep the tires on and, and help that company through the tumult while they replaced the people that had left. And uh, sure enough, they replaced everybody but the president. And I had that battlefield promotion. And, and I just loved it. And uh, they loved me doing it because we were able to get through in record time, got the company restructured, went from negative, you know, eight figures uh, per year in EBITDA to positive eight figures in, uh, in a very short period of time. And then we sold the business for nine figures. So wow. here was a company that was, you know, ready to go away and then turned around and got sold for uh, a handsome profit. So anyways, that, that set a course for me working uh, with PE firms uh, going through and just helping them with those troubled assets. And, you know, oftentimes it's not so much a matter of, um, you know, as I, I came to learn, it's not it's not a, a fault of management. It's, it's sometimes a fault in circumstance of situation. Situations. Sometimes it's too much turnover within management. The business starts to lose its way, and and as I did these ten turnarounds over this these period, you know, over these three decades, I started seeing the the commonality, the themes that were in there, and I started finding myself repeating the process. And uh, that's when I realized that you know what, there's there's a book in here, and there's a yeah. there's a method yeah. to the the madness and the things that I do. And so when I start formalizing that, so I always sort of had it on my uh, sort of to do list that I wanted to write a book, and the time became now. And as I was pivoting again, from out of the C-suite into a cons consultative role and advisory role. And so that's when I, I put the book in place and, uh, and wrote it. And thanks yeah. to you and your firm, got it out there. Well, it's certainly done well. You know, the book was launched not long ago. It hit Wall Street Journal, bestseller, top on the list, uh, number three or four are on the Wall Street Journal list, uh, USA Today bestseller, uh, number one on Barnes & Noble overall. So congratulations on all of that. I mean, uh, the book is definitely resonating with people. Yeah, thank you. And, and you know, I think partially because there's a, there's a real world element to it. You know, like I wrote in every chapter a story of it was from the trenches. It was a battlefield story. And when I talked about sales and marketing or reporting and finance or restructuring or how to get the business uh, strategy uh, fixed and corrected, there was, there was a story in every chapter. And then I took a historical story because I, as I said earlier, I'm a, a history. But, and I love the fall of Constantinople and some of the things that happened. So I kind of took a historical story and sort of themed it through the book as well to give, just help some of the lessons of the past be the teacher of, the, of today. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a real fun, uh, real fun project. I relished it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, congrats again. Um, the title, When the Unthinkable Happens, talk to me about some of the unthinkable things that you have found yourself in, if you can, because, uh, you know, the, the first thought, everybody will have a different first thought when they see that title. Like, what does that even mean? It could mean, uh, you know, the, the times I had terrible financial trouble because I owned a real estate company during 2007 and 2008 during the financial crisis and we couldn't get funding, we couldn't close deals, et cetera. So talk to me about some of these unthinkable things. And, and then from there, I'm going to want to talk about, okay, what are some of the patterns that you saw uh, as far as fixing them? 
Sure, sure. So my story comes from the same era and period that you're talking about, because I went into a bank and it was eight weeks before Lehman Brothers collapsed. Wow. And I was, uh, you know, the COO of the bank. And it was, uh, it was an interesting, you know, I had come from automotive and a bunch of other manufacturing companies and found myself in a bank, which was kind of interesting in and of itself, not with a lot of uh, banking background. But then eight weeks later, Lehman Brothers collapsed. And then, of course, we watched 400 uh, some odd uh, banks go into uh, disappear from the world as a result of the subprime mortgage crisis, and that. But what was interesting is that in the course of that uh, that job, uh, the CEO and unfortunately had made a, a bit of a fumble, and uh, he ended up losing his job as a result of that. And here I was now, battlefield promotion, and the, I talk about the the story in the book. But he got, actually got taken out by the government because the the bank was at risk of falling, and in Canada we hadn't had any banks fall, so it was a it was a super important period of time. Anyways, here I am now faced to, you know, the unthinkable moment was here I am in the midst of a sector never been in before in the bank in the middle of the bank worst banking crisis in modern times. And all of a sudden overnight uh, disappears the CEO. And now I'm leading the bank through the, the worst crisis that it have certainly had faced in uh, in modern times. So, it kind of, you know, for me, it's always, you know, and it's kind of resonates with a lot of the other stories. They just are different stories. But the one theme is that, you know, a crisis is not a matter of if it's just a matter of when. And are you prepared for it? And when when it does happen, what do you do with it? And how do you then shepherd the business through the the, the difficulty and then move then take it not just in, in an element of survival, but it's really how can you actually take this situation within the obstacles and then find the the opportunity for growth and, and scale within there? It's not just let's get through this, guys. It's like, let's just get through this, but become stronger as a result of it. And then let's take whatever it is, theme, themes or difficulties or opportunities or whatever the market suggests that, you know, is our new place in that new market? How do we then capitalize on the circumstance, not just try and weather it? So that's been, I guess, part of the the, the theme of my life. So the unthinkable, when the unthinkable happens, is really just a, a call towards those moments in time where, where unthinkable things just happen in business. And yeah. how do you then handle it? And how do you take it to grow? We just came out of uh, a global pandemic. Well, I guess if you ask some, we haven't come out of it yet, but we certainly are uh, maybe not as much in the throes of it as we were. And, you know, I remember when when that began, I think it was the second week of March, uh, I was watching the Players' Championship on TV, and um, Hideki Matsuyama, I'm a big golf fan, shot nine under the first day, and the second day they canceled it. And I was like... <laughs> They just canceled the players' championship? I'm like, what is going on? And, of course, that was our – for me, I mean, everybody probably had a different experience. But to me, all of that was a a whole new kind of error of something unthinkable happening. It led to some wonderful things for my business from the standpoint of, you know, we became a virtual company, which is something I had always wanted but was afraid of. We were forced Mm -hmm. into that because of uh, the shutting down of businesses, et cetera. So maybe if you could – Talk to me about whether it's it's your lift process or whether it's just another type of, of steps or process when something unthinkable happens to then turn that to a positive. What are the things that, that you look for and that you do to create the positive experience? 
Well, now is kind of like the perfect example of this because you're you're right. An unthinkable situation happened. I remember when they said, "Oh, we're gonna, you know, flatten the curve." You know, it's just a couple weeks, weeks couple months. You know, like <laughs> right. really. And here it was right. two years in the making before yeah. you know, the things really started to sort of iron out a little bit. And I know we're not quite there yet, but but it was an unthinkable circumstance. And yeah. again, it's not a matter of if; it's just a matter of when. But then within the circumstances, how do you find your way to actually? find growth and opportunity you did in your sense you were able to pivot your business in a direction you always wanted to go but yeah. never for whatever reason but now now the circumstance you know provided you an opportunity for you to take advantage of it and everybody in the company as you know rallied around the new change yeah. because it was the reality of the outside world that was forcing the circumstances so you get a lot of inherent sort of energy within the company to yeah. make those changes and those pivots i think today is we're seeing the things improve because of COVID, but it's not gone and there's right. lots of things that are about to happen in my view i think there's another big wave mm-hmm. uh, if you look just as a, a data point in the last 18 months it's been a historic low in bankruptcies for business why because we've had government stimulus propping right companies up you know the paycheck protection program and there's an enormous amount of uh you know stimulus going on and but that that gravy train so to speak is going to end soon and then we're now you know companies are expected to stand on their own two feet without any government support but the markets still haven't completely returned so then what do you do we still have a you know ocean liners um uh stacked up on the on the on the west coast and unable to get processed into you know lax or into any of the port all on the western seaboard and they can they said that i was reading the article the other day i was saying if you'd lined up all the shipping containers back to back you could run them all the way from la to chicago and back that's how many and the collective wait time on the water is now over 50 years collectively if you added up all the waiting that all those ships have been doing you've got that happening so you got supply chain interruption you got silicon problems because of silicon factories that were down so now you have chip problems and you've got a lot of things that have affected a lot of different sectors and those things aren't fixed like just because COVID is now the vaccines are working and we're starting to see the, uh, some of the improvement there's still going to be a ripple effect so right. the question then becomes okay knowing this is coming knowing what's going to happen and some of the ideas you certainly could play out in your market what do you do about it like are you going to you know have to switch your supply chain are you going to have to find new routes is are you going to repatriate manufacturing back to the U.S. which is sorely needed in some industries right too much offshore going on anyway so do we then find a way to repatriate back and then if we have more made in america products how did how does that then translate into into margins and how do you then get the uh, your and customers actually embrace the the cost improvement and what do you do to actually uh, you know pass through some of that so you maintain your margins but yet ha- you know maintain supply and maybe an improvement in quality or your offering and so there's i think there's a lot of very important questions businesses need to be asking themselves Themselves, not just saying okay let's 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 just hang on long enough for the mark you know for covid to go away and then everybody to come running back like they were the day before covid broke out it never works that way right. how do you then take the situations and the new realities and then actually build strategies to help yourself pivot through those moments and actually you know lift lead inspire and focus and transform your company yeah yeah well, that's my question for you now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we just stated the problem. and But like you said, I mean, the unthinkable is unthinkable, mm-hmm. meaning that something's going to happen. It's not if, it's when. And it's something that is unexpected. And then it happens. And how do you navigate? 
Walk me through that, uh, whether it's lift or something else. How do you navigate? You come into that situation. It needs to be turned around. What are the first things that you look for and do? Well, certainly it's going to be the, the moral situation within the company, the vision, the values, the ethical position of the company. Because oftentimes when, when things aren't going well in a company, if they've lost their way, there's always going to be a, an issue with the vision. It's either gone away, it's now words on a wall, or it's, not, you know, it's the old guy's vision and not the new right. regime's and so you've got to go through and do a full reset because the organization's been pained because that vision has either expired or drifted away or the market realities have caused a whole new situation. And now you haven't updated your vision and you updated your strategy. So you have to go back to those sort of fundamental basics. And then and that, of course, is going to be required because you've got to really en- enable your people to start engaging in the business and then finding out how all this market data and all these realities are or how the customers are now behaving or what has now changed within the priorities of your customers. Getting that information is going to require you really sparking your people to start engaging in a full refresh, refresh of the vision, refresh of the business plan, refresh of the the realities or the assumptions you've made about your end markets, Uh, hearing the customer's voice, understanding what the new needs are, understanding what's happening in your supply base or some of your raw material bases, and then taking that sort of situational refresh, getting the values of vision and, and the direction figured out, and then starting to translate that into the end markets. And then you have to look at what is your core competency. And because of course, every strategy is critical, but it requires you to either go into go one or two steps away from your core, which then creates risk. Okay, what is that risk? And how do I build a risk profile and mitigation strategy to make sure that okay, if I'm going to take new products to existing customers, okay, we know those people, but there's risk because maybe they don't want it. Okay, how do we mitigate that risk? How do we get those new offerings to the customer? But if it's a new customer and a new product, now you're a couple, two or three or four steps away, and it may be a new market in a new geography, well, the the risk profile starts to escalate quite quickly. That doesn't mean you don't do it necessarily, but you want to try, if you're going to make a shift in the pivot in business, you got, you want to start with one step away from, uh, from your core, maybe a new product in the existing market, that would be great. But if you have to go with, you know, a, a refreshed product in a, in a new market, well, that's an, a different yeah. risk, but you've got to be able to really build your your risk profiles and not and make sure that you don't leverage the future of the company on it. Like you've got to be careful with your balance sheet because cash is going to be very precious. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people looking for capital in the next couple of years, and if, if you're going to need a lot of infusion of capital, you're going to have to find that capital from within your own company. If you have to go outside to source it, you want to be a position of uh, of leverage and not being just taking whatever you can get at you know you know high interest high rates. rates. So yeah. you want to be prepared, you, you want to prepare your balance sheet to actually ask for capital. And that requires you to do a lot of work on your own existing uh, cost structure. So it's a multi-pronged, multi-faceted <laughs> approach, but there's a, there's a method in there and it's called Lyft and it's in the book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They got to get the book. Um, you said something um, while you were walking us through, you know, how you look at it, what you do. I'd like you to expound on a little bit. You said uh, companies are going to be looking for capital in the future. You mentioned before that you talked about, you know, just supply chain issues, silicon, you know, the 50 years of overall wait time. All of these things impact supply chains, impact profit and loss statements. 
the government has been, not just the government of the United States, but all governments all over the world, they've been flooding the markets with cash, <laughs> printing it, quote unquote, making digits appear out of, out of thin mm-hmm. air. What do you see as the immediate future, next one to two years, and then the longer term future, you know, five to 10 years coming from this that people need to be aware of? Well, certainly there's going to be a natural, unfortunately, culling of some businesses through this process. And, and it's, a, it's a couple things. One, you had an arbitrary uh, sort of inflating of some companies that probably would have fell into insolvency, but because of government funding and stimulus money, were able to you know live to another day. The unfortunate part is that you know once that balloon empties, then it, then it's gone. They'll fall into the bankruptcy that they probably should have went into in the in the first place. But then there's good companies that still have a vibrant business business plan, but they were too slow to act. And we've seen this right out of the gate of COVID. Like we all thought, okay, I'll flatten the curve a couple of weeks, right? Well, they didn't uh, deal with their, you know, their cost structure. They let the government money come in to help with, you know, keeping those people employed, but they didn't need those people, but they had the money access. And so they keep, they kept them around, but yet the business started to change and the needs started to change, but they kept thinking, okay, well, the curtain's going to open again and things are going to change. And, and I don't want to take too much action. I'll lose too many good people and and so there was a, a lack of uh, of urgency on certain on changes and what did that do ultimately it ended up eroding the balance sheet because when you have to fundamentally make that kind of change it typically costs you money to make that change sometimes in the form of severance like you're getting yeah. rid of uh, certain people or you're you need to hire certain people but you got to put out cash to make certain changes in the business but if you're sitting going okay well I'm getting this government money and I have to in order to get this money I have to kind of keep things the way they are then you are arbitrarily delay what you should be doing now and so what we've seen i think in the in the first 12 months was a lot of people sitting on their hands but just kind of hoping that everything would kind of go back well then after six months you go okay well it's not going back but i've got all these people and uh, we're starting to hear customers might you know things might improve and then there was this long delay so there's going to be a number of companies as these as the uh, stimulus packages all start dropping off then all of a sudden now they're they didn't do the work they were they should have did during this period. Now they're going, they have pretty good businesses, but now they're too fat and they've got to now make changes, but their balance sheets eroded. And now all of a sudden, now they're in a liquidity crisis and now they're looking for capital. So the second part of that problem, which I think gets exacerbated is that they're not the only ones looking for capital. Now you're going to have a rush for capital because all the government money is now gone. And then all of a sudden, now the bar for who gets what is now raised because institutions now say, okay, you know what? You got to be operating cash positive. You got to be this. You got to have these kind of debt to equity ratios and and so on and so forth. They can kind of be a little bit selective and picky about who they lend to. But if you're the one looking for the money, all of a sudden now you got many parties at the table and all of a sudden now your, your, your position is a, is, is far weaker in what you you can ask for and what you can expect. So I think that the problem is going to get really magnified in the next 24 months. The unfortunate part, and to ask you know answer your longer term question, is that there will probably be some really good companies that go away uh, because they weren't prepared for this, and that's going to be to the benefit of their competitors because uh, someone's going to have to eat up that space, and uh, those opportunities will be lost by those companies. So I'm unfortunately we'll probably see some good companies just caught in this sort of vortex for a period of time, and they they just don't have the balance sheet. To weather it well they need to hire you as quickly as possible to uh, (laughs) (laughs) begin uh, making the changes and adjustments that are needed so now this is good this is intriguing stuff i mean you you've done this at the highest level you've done this with the biggest asset manager in the world blackstone so it's it's really interesting to hear your thoughts on this i mean 
I'm a small business owner, but hey, my business is important to me yeah. <laughs> and, and all of my uh, staff and all of my clients. And so, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, I guess being small allows you to be nimble. And we were nimble. We were quick to act, which I think, you know, enabled us and allowed us to have, you know, a great year in 2020 and what is shaping up to be a fantastic year in 2021. So, so yeah, I mean, the thing that I'm hearing mainly out of everything you shared is to be able to make the hard decisions and make them quickly because the longer you stall, even though you may have cash in the bank or you may have government subsidies, um, you're just going to end up having to make those decisions. And by then it may be too late to actually do that. So very, very, very good. I mean, thank you. It's uh, getting an education here, which is always kind of fun for me and and uh, for those listening. So let me pivot for just a moment because we've given them a lot to think about. I always like to ask, you know, either for those that have had their book out for a certain length of time, what are you using your book? How are you using your book to to grow your consulting business, to, to get you know, build authority, get your name out, et cetera. Uh, your book has only been out for a, a short period of time, but it's already done so exceptionally well. You know, again, hitting Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the bestseller list, all, all of that. So I'll, I'll ask you a different question. What would you say or tell somebody who has 30 years of experience like you and is thinking of writing a book, thinking of pivoting, and it doesn't have to be 30 years, you know what I mean, but they, they mm-hmm, have an expertise, mm-hmm. they're thinking of pivoting, they're thinking of writing the book, what would you tell them? And also, you know, what would you tell them about how to actually look for somebody to really help you with the marketing and the publishing of that book? Mm-hmm. No, thanks for the question. You know, when I started, as I said, I always had this desire to, to write a book and I really wanted to take a lot of my, you know, experiences and it's part of your legacy. You want to you yep. know, sort of put the pin in on the things that you've done. And, and there's nothing like uh, writing a book that really helps you put that sort of line in the sand. Okay, here, here's my life up until this point, And here's the difference I've, I've made. Here's the things I've learned. And then here's what I want others to glean and enjoy and experience and understand as well. And if there's a way to give back into the the past uh, for those who uh, you know want to pay it forward, you know, it's a, it's a great milestone. Yeah. But when you have a set of expertise, like I have, you know, one of them is not writing books and publishing them. <laughs> Right. And so it, there's an element of, you know, when I walked into the project, I was like, okay, you know, I, I could write, I wrote lots of chapters, I crystallized my methodology, I, I thought through some, you know, very deep concepts, and tried to simplify it to my audience. But, but it's one thing to put a bunch of papers together and 450 pages, my book is, as you know, it's a bit of a longer one, but taking that to actually production and publishing is a completely different animal for sure. And, and it's not an expertise that I had. And, and one of the things I did learn over my uh, course of time was that when I didn't have the expertise, I got that expertise. I had many subject matter experts come in to help me when I faced a situation that I knew needed to be fixed or improved, or we needed that you know level of expertise to help us you know uh, accomplish that goal or hit that milestone. And so I was never afraid to go out and get expertise to help me with the next 
next leg of that journey that helped us get to that that end goal. And so that was what it took for me when I realized, okay, I wanted to write a book, but who do I get as a partner? And so when I went out there looking for for partners to help me, bestseller publishing and, and yourself, Rob, and we talked early on in the process there, you know, I was just very, you know, admiring of, of your expertise and as well with your organization, which you've built, you know, it's it's an end-to-end solution. And it's a and it's a, for those, you know, that need other aspects, like you 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 provide a lot of a lot of services and and really equip someone that has expertise to actually take that expertise out and then put that into action um, and then help them get their book out on onto the world's uh, stage. And so I think, you know, I thank you for that. For first and foremost, you guys did a fantastic job. And uh, I was glad when I, I picked you and, and I'm glad uh, on the end of on the other side of it that you were able to deliver on everything you promised. And I really appreciated all that uh, you and your team did for me. Uh, well, thank you for saying that. I'm I'm honored. I think your book, you know, it does put a pin in it, so to speak, as you as you said. And I think it is going to be an incredible foundation for you as a consultant helping, you know, tons of other businesses to to do the very thing that you've been doing for the last 30 years. So I'm glad we could play a, a small part in that and, you know, really honored to, to be working with you. So thank you for that. Let's give a link. I mean, where can people learn a little bit more about you, about the lift process, maybe get a copy of the book? Where's the best place to send them? Yeah. So randydewey.com is the best place to go. Uh, you can get to the, the book funnel there and that'll give you a lot of information, help you get a, a pretty uh, inexpensive copy of it. Good. So that's a great place to go. And then of course the website's full of stuff, but also you can find me all over LinkedIn. That's yeah. certainly the this platform that I spend quite a bit of my energy on. So between LinkedIn and, uh, and my website at randydewey.com, you can learn all about me and, and the lift process. Love it. So randydewey.com and Dewey is D-E-W-E-Y.com. And then, of course, on LinkedIn, as you mentioned as well. So thank you, my friend. Thanks for being on today and uh, and sharing your wisdom. Great to have you. Thanks, Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it.